Vítajte v medzinárodnej komunite baseballu. Toto je váš hostiteľ David Burns. Thank you for the introduction. As Richard said in that introduction, my name is David Burns and this is the International Baseball Community Podcast and this is episode number 11. Some of you regular listeners might be wondering what those intros are all about. Well, every single podcast since uh, about four or five ago, uh, there's been another uh, different language introducing myself and the podcast. And uh, if you've been trying to put your finger on what some of those languages are, then uh, you're heading in the right direction to get your name uh, in a draw for a prize giveaway that I'll be announcing in a future episode. So for those of you that are tuning in today, today's podcast will be with Owen Reed. This is the third time he's been on the podcast, and uh, today we'll be focusing on talking about gaining coaching experience prior to your international uh, career as a coach or a player coach, because most clubs in Europe and Australia are seeking players that have some coaching experience or at least are, are able to or willing to or enthusiastic about coaching uh, youth. Uh, in Australia, coaches are in high demand, and uh, he goes into uh, yeah into depth about coaching in Australia and coaching in Europe and some of the challenges that you may face along the way and how to get in with some of these clubs over there. So a lot of great information packed into this episode, and uh, without further ado, let's uh, get on the horn with Owen Reed out of Perth, Australia. Owen, what's up, buddy? Welcome back to the podcast. David, thanks for having me again. It's been good to follow your progress online and see all the information you're sharing with everybody in the international baseball community. So I appreciate you having me back on. Thanks. Uh, this time we're going to focus on on the coaching aspect of, of taking your baseball career overseas, not necessarily strictly for coaches, but for players who, uh, who plan to do some coaching or will be doing some coaching and are maybe new to coaching. So uh, why don't we start off by uh, maybe you can take us through specific actions that you, that you took uh, to take your career overseas and, and how it kind of ended up going in, in the coaching uh, direction. Sure, sure. Happy to elaborate on that. Basically, David, for me, it was it was about being educated at first. So my opportunity to go to Europe initially was through someone that I that I met through my collegiate coach at the time. And by getting to Europe, that opened the, the door for me to then understand the opportunities that are available with baseball internationally. And from there, was able to, to stay in touch with an Australian teammate that I had through college and made my way to New Zealand, which was strictly done through email, as I mentioned in one of my previous interviews, and had an opportunity to get down there and see what that landscape was all about and then make my way back to Europe through contacts that I'd made initially during my first stint and then landed in Australia in October of 2010 after bouncing some emails back and forth and haven't looked back since. I've held a variety of positions here, and, and that all came about by by one of my college teammates who was just willing to put my name out there and, and had an opportunity to come play for a local club, and the rest was history. Yeah, well, now you're the assistant high-performance development coach for all of Western Australia. Um, what what qualities do you think you brought to the table, or what did you do while you were in Australia for you to uh, end up in, a, in such an important role? Well, I think probably the, the biggest thing is that I showed an interest in wanting to develop the sport. And I think if if anyone anywhere were to, were to suggest otherwise, obviously, I, I would disagree. And it, ultimately, David, it's, it's about being invested in what you're doing and 
showing the dedication and the organizational skills and the ability to communicate and, and those things that were the intangibles for me, but that I just kind of, I, that's what I, that's what I do normally. Nothing was different about the way I was handling myself here. I just think there was kind of a, a gap in that, in that aspect here in Western Australia. So there wasn't a whole lot of, of specialized coaching or high performance coaching before I'd gotten here. And it was an opportunity for me to kind of bridge that gap from the scores of athletes and baseball players who are playing to the coaching that I knew I could bring to the table and, and the opportunity that I could provide the kids and, and the players who are part of the organization. Okay. So, um, was this the high, the, the role as high uh, performance development coach, was this more your initiative? Yes, I would say so. You know, I came out just as a club baseball player for one specific club in my first year and did that my second year while being involved in the front office of the Perth Heat, the mm -hmm. professional side here. And that led to other opportunities in various ways of being involved in programs that we do where uh, the talented or the elite players in Western Australia come through and, and obviously are looking to continue to develop their skills and, and further their careers and their progress in the game. So for me, it was definitely it was about being here at the right time, obviously, and then just going about my business as I do. As I mentioned, the, the organizational skills, the, the skills to be able to communicate and, and write, obviously, and be able to put my thoughts on paper. And then just taking the initiative and being energetic and enthusiastic about growing the game and, and helping others and continue to develop the sport, that that literally is is the best way I could summarize how it all happened for me. Great. <clears throat> well, I've noticed on my website there's there's a lot of Australian clubs, not necessarily looking for players, but looking for coaches. Uh, can you speak a little bit on the demand uh, that you see uh, in Australia? I know you're pretty much out, uh, secluded out in the West there. Uh, and maybe as well, uh, you, if you could speak on any coach uh, demand for quality coaches in Europe as well. Sure. Well, I know that that's a big push right now in Australia is that we just want the coaches who are involved in the game to be as knowledgeable and as educated as possible. And that goes all the way down, all the way down to the T-ball level through little league and all the way up through junior baseball and senior baseball. And the more we can have parents who will admit they don't know anything about the game, come out and volunteer their time and just learn and be a sponge amongst coaches who maybe do have experiences or knowledge to share, the better the game is going to be. And, and the more coaches that are, ultimately going to be involved to help progress it. So the demand certainly is there, as you mentioned, and I know at the state league level here in Western Australia at least, if a club is able to secure a, an import coach or a coach from North America, that's, that's a big feather in the cap because most of the clubs will know that, that Americans typically will come out with, with a high level of experience and will love the game and will at least bring some level of, of organization or structure to to maybe a program or a club that may have never experienced such a thing in the past. Mm -hmm. And are there any opportunities um, as a, a coach coming over to Australia to maybe earn a little cash on the side coaching privately? Is the demand that high where, where you think there's maybe uh, an opportunity there? Absolutely. In Western Australia in particular, there, there seems to be quite a bit of disposable income. And a lot of the, a lot of the families that are involved in baseball are, are certainly – interested in having their their son or even their daughter there's girls who play baseball as well here that they want them to get as much high level coaching and and information passed down to them as possible so one-on-one -on -one lessons or group sessions or uh, specific high performance camps maybe a hitting centric camp or a pitcher and catcher camp or clinic those are very common and 
and parents are willing to to fork up the money in order to in order for their kid to get better and to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I, I, I we had a conversation uh, uh, about a week ago, or a little a little more than a week ago, about your your friend Drew. How is he came over as a student? Can you? I think the listeners would be interested in, in hearing about how he uh, fell into his role. Right, right. You're speaking about uh, Drew Sanderson, who previously had worked with the Australian Baseball Federation, which is the overarching body of baseball in the country, and has just recently taken the performance manager role for South Australian Baseball. So he'll be the main man down there in South Australia and based in Adelaide, and his story is quite unique. And he he studied in the United States, is American-born, and decided when he was doing his master's that he wanted to get a couple credits just down in Australia, take a couple courses and have a chance to see another part of the world and volunteered some, some of his skills and expertise at the Australian Baseball Federation. One thing led to another and he actually landed a, a full-time position there with the ABF and has been there or was in that role for about a year and a half, just under two years. And then that most recently parlayed into him taking that the performance manager job down in South Australia. So for him, it, it happened, it happened pretty quickly. And, and obviously he got in at the right time and, and was able to do a lot of good things and is a great asset to baseball in this country. But like you mentioned, he, he came from a baseball background in the United States and got down here and put his, put his hand up and, and got his foot in the door. And, and ultimately that's what has allowed him to have these great opportunities that he's currently, currently exercising. Yeah, and that, I think that's a great route to take for anybody. And even coming over to Europe, I know with with visa issues over in Europe, that's a way to get around that. You can come over on a student visa and then work your way into a club there. Uh, once you're over in Europe, then and you know how to play baseball, you bring some knowledge with you, then you're in high demand. So if you if you do your research and pick a city like Vienna, for example, and go to the University of Vienna, uh, maybe just take a language course or two or whatever you want to take, then uh, I think you can get picked up pretty easy as well over here and that's the way around the visa issue so once you told me that story my wheels started turning a little bit and spoke to a couple of guys over here and that's yeah that's definitely a route to go so Uh, on a previous podcast uh, you this is when you brought up the great tip that i that i liked um that players should maybe position themselves more as a coach who can play as opposed to a player uh that maybe can help out coaching a little bit or, or use their knowledge there. So maybe you can um, elaborate on that and maybe how can, can a young baseball player uh, um, who's currently in college or, or just finishing up his college career uh, gain some experience and, and uh, you know, to start positioning himself that way. Sure. And that's a good point, David. It's, it is definitely a commodity to have a guy who can play and a guy who can coach. So if you're able to, to make your, I guess sell yourself more as a coach or a guy who's willing to oversee a team or teams or an entire group of junior players, certainly that's going to be more advantageous for a club than one guy who fills one roster spot on one team. Uh-huh. Uh, that's just common sense. So looking at that, looking at it that way, it, it's definitely an advantage if, if a, a young college player is able to get involved with any camps or clinics that his current school or, or uh, groups in the, in the area are running just to gain some experience, you know, working with, working with kids and working with grownups or college age kids, uh, completely different avenues as we all know. So, so if a young college baseball player is able to get out and, you know, market himself as a coach, who's willing to coach a T-ball team or a little league team, or even put together a flyer to kind of advertise that he's looking to make a little bit of cash or to, 
provide some expertise and coaching to young aspiring baseball players, that's definitely a way that they can gain some experience and at least get their name out there as a guy who is willing to coach and who has a little bit of experience in doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hundred percent right on, right on the money. There is, you know, if you can just get out there and and uh, just start gaining that experience, and it's going to bring such a such a uh, such value to your resume when you're posting online uh, on my website and everything. Uh, I know most clubs in Europe, uh, well, at least in in Austria here, um, it, it's it's a requirement. You know, if you're coming over as an import, you you have some coaching duties, and that's just the way it is. So. The more you position yourself that way, I'm, I'm 100% sure you have a leg up, even on guys that maybe played a higher level of ball than yourself. So, That's right. Absolutely. Um, maybe uh, can you speak a little bit about, uh, you know, coming over to Europe, a lot of guys are either coaching the men's team that they're playing on uh, or coaching the youth or a combination of both. And quite often there's language barriers and, uh, you know, and these are our amateur clubs, so guys are, have full-time jobs and families and things like that. So maybe can you speak on what it's like to coach a men's team where there's a number of guys on the team that are older than you or at your age? And, uh, you know, maybe the motivation or the turnout isn't quite, uh, you know, when you first show up isn't quite where you would like to see it and what you're used to and how sure. you can deal with that. Sure. I suppose I can elaborate on the language barrier first. I guess the the biggest thing about baseball that makes it unique is that it it's a language in itself. So the, the game doesn't change really no matter where you go. It's just played at, at different levels of intensity or at different levels of competition and certainly played better elsewhere or some places than others. So it's, it's the same game. Nothing really changes there. So the terminology and the words that are used on the diamond oftentimes don't really need a whole lot of translating. So that's the great part about it. And it's, it's something that as, as maybe a non-German speaking, as an example, a non-German speaking American, you could arrive in, in Austria or in Germany and, and pick up on some, some of the phrases that are used on the diamond because of the situations that arise or the set of circumstances that might be in place that, that words are used and phrases that you hear are, are then ones that, that you kind of adopt and you understand that's the time to say that or you at least know that, that your teammates are talking about something that relates to the game. So uh, in that sense, the language barrier can be a challenge off the field. I suppose the, the biggest thing that was was advantageous for me is that I was in Vienna the first time and English was much more common or more widely spoken than than I expected. So for me, it wasn't it wasn't a major issue, especially those that I played with. English was was very much a language that was used on the diamond, and that was that was kind of the norm throughout the league. It seemed that that English was the language on the field, even used by the umpires. So that made it easy for me as far as the transition goes. And then when I got out to um, when I got out to Feldkirch in my second year in the far west, it was it was much less common for for people to speak English, especially. Uh, in, in the community, it was a much smaller rural community, and so I found myself I found myself forced to learn or at least apply the German that I learned, and that was the great part that we we also had some Latin Americans on the team, and with my background in Spanish, I found myself sometimes communicating in in German, Spanish, and English at yeah. various training sessions or games. So that made it pretty pretty multicultural in the sense of a, a small town. Uh, USA kid like myself in the middle of Europe speaking three languages at a baseball <laughs> training session. So it kind of came full circle for me, but 
the language barriers can definitely be a challenge, but I think if you embrace that and you understand that, that it is something that is a challenge or that it's an obstacle that has to be overcome, uh, it definitely can be far easier than those who decide they don't want to learn any any German or any of that foreign language to help themselves or help their cause while they're on the ground. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, I know a common, a common, uh, issue with, with imports that come over is, is the, the random turnouts to practice. You know, you'll, one day you'll get out five guys to practice next day, you'll get out 15 and you have this practice plan all laid out and then you can't, you can't execute it because you don't have enough guys. And, uh, that's just something they need to prepare themselves for as well. In addition to the language barriers, but, uh, uh, can, maybe you can speak on on how to to deal with that and maybe try to um, bring out some uh, consistency or how to organize a weekly um, weekly practice schedule so that you can um, try to bring out the most players as possible to to any given practice. Sure, and that's that's always going to be a problem in anything you do where you involve multiple people or or people who have different schedules is that you're not going to be able to accommodate everyone and. and not everyone's going to be able to accommodate you and what you're hoping to achieve. So the biggest thing that I stress with the coaches here when we go through our coaching accreditation courses is that they have a plan, but they're willing and ready to deviate from that plan. And so something that I've tried to put into place in these high-performance programs that we run currently here in Perth is having some weekly objectives. So if we have multiple sessions each week, which would be common uh, if you're coaching a club team or if you're running a program, if you have multiple sessions, then have have goals that you want to achieve in both of those sessions knowing that you won't achieve all of them in one and you may have to give some of them a miss on the first session or some may have to roll into the second so not trying to to incorporate so much into one session that if five guys show up then you can't do the defensive work that you hope to maybe then the second session can consist of your defense and those five guys who had arrived at that training session get all the work in and the offensive aspect that you were hoping to achieve in that week. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an excellent tip. I took over with the athletics this year and as a coaching role and, and right now, actually, we have a lot of a good turnout, but every week I, I try to prepare myself for, for, you know, the possibility that only eight guys are going to show up or something like that. And, and you're right. I try to, I try to figure out week to week what I want to accomplish. And then if, if I can accomplish something on one given day, I'm prepared for that. If, if, you know, if I, if 15 guys show up, then I'm prepared for that. Or if there's five guys show up. So that's a great way to go about it. But I think a lot of guys come over and they don't realize that that's what they're going to be dealing with sometimes. So, so a little, uh, a little heads up there in preparation ahead of time before you hop on the plane. Uh, yes. Now let's move over to kids. You're dealing with, uh, you know, kids in Europe and well in Australia as well, where maybe uh, the popularity of baseball is, is quite low, and uh, and then of course you know in countries like Austria, Germany, or or Italy, uh, the language barrier again obviously is 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 going to be even more difficult. There's going to be more of a barrier than dealing with uh, coaching men. So uh, maybe you can touch base a little bit on on how to go about dealing with uh coaching youth and motivating them and getting them out to the game when you're competing with sports such as soccer and whatnot sure and we have similar similar issues here with kids who who want to try other sports or who want to spend their time on on other sporting sporting aspirations i suppose and and obviously we don't 
we don't discourage kids from from playing multiple sports, but sometimes they conflict. And and if we want them to come play baseball, which of course we do, I suppose making the training sessions enjoyable one is is of the utmost importance. So if they're enjoying what they're doing and they they have a good time being at the field or being in the batting cage or throwing a baseball or putting on the glove and catching it, then they're going to want to come back. And they're going to tell mom and dad, and mom and dad are going to be willing and able to drop them off or spend any money necessary for the coaching or the sessions that are required in order to to get them uh, to become a better baseball player. So first and foremost, making it enjoyable so that the kids do want to come back and, and keep playing. So that retention rate should be as high as it possibly can be. And in, in hopes of doing that, obviously making the sessions fun. Uh, another thing that I think is important is that, you know, once the kids are there and, and you, you have them engaged is to keep it as simple as possible, you know, with, with kids who are learning the game and still trying to adjust to a different kind of sport or movements that are required, simplifying things and not overloading them with information is very critical. And we, we get that a lot, of course, with kids transitioning from T-ball into Little League or into proper baseball, where you may see several holes in a kid's swing, or you may see things that he's not doing properly. But if you can just give him one quick little pointer or something that you want him to achieve, and then he does it properly and realizes that that can be achieved, then then you're talking about the results rather than the, the full-fledged process and every detail that incorporates it. So right. keeping it simple, keeping it fun first, I should say, keeping it simple, and then once the kids have, have grasped that kind of simple concept or the, the basics of what they're trying to do, start to challenge them a little bit, and whether that's with some fun drills or exercises that might be uh, related to baseball or to what some actions we're trying to create with them, mm-hmm. challenging them with, with then new new standards or new minimums that you hope they can achieve and and at least then continue to progress within that that particular movement yeah excellent um do you do you i'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit can you give me a specific example of of maybe one fun drill you can do with some kids that are maybe seven or eight or nine years old that uh, are absolutely new to the game and you're trying to introduce the game to them but also keep it fun at the same time Right, that you are putting me on the spot, David. I appreciate you acknowledging <laughs> that. The I suppose it's important to know what kind of space you're dealing with. So, if you were indoors or outdoors, if you're confined to a batting cage, or if you had a massive baseball field uh, for yourself, that it, that obviously is going to is going to vary what you're going to be able to do. But kids always, in most cases, kids like to to have competition you know they like to they like to be able to get out there and compete and you know, so a relay race is something that that straight up is 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 very i suppose conducive to what kids want to do it involves it involves being up on your feet being active working together which even if kids don't admit they like doing it put them in a situation and they do so something that comes to mind straight away that would incorporate bases a ball and uh, working together and then starting to create some actions by throwing the ball and catching it. You could have two lines or two teams of, let's just say that you have eight kids that you're trying to entertain and two lines of four and the kids have to start out and there's a ball on a tee and they have to swing and hit the ball. And then after they swing and hit the ball, they place a bat down inside a hula hoop next to the tee and then they have to run in the direction of what would be the next base or first base. Mm-hmm. When they get to first base, 
the they then have to pick up a baseball that's next to the base and throw it to someone who's standing uh, further away from them and throw the ball to that person. That person catches the ball and places it down in the hula hoop. And then uh, the next person, they basically follow in the direction that they've come from. So, or excuse me, that they've they've hit the ball, that they've thrown it. So, constantly, constantly moving, constantly working together, where you have multiple people involved, and then you could do that for time, or you could do it so that after everyone swings the bat and ends up at the end, then that team wins, and that incorporates, as I said, swinging, safety, of course, and placing the bat down before you you run or we not throw the bat. And then running to a base and stopping on the base, of course, and then throwing. So the act of actually throwing a baseball to a target and then someone receiving the baseball and then, of course, working together as a team. That's a great example. <laughs> Thanks for uh, you answered that perfectly because, yeah, I, no, I think relay races are the way to go. I was helping out with the youth quite a bit over the years here. And, and, uh, and it's also all the way up until uh, to men my age. We all have a kid inside and, uh, you know, coaching the men's team here in Austria, we've done a few conditioning drills at the end and, and I've always, I always turn it into a competition between two teams and, and yeah, they just, uh, it just seems to uh, motivate them and they just work even harder when, when there's a little competition involved too. And, and relay races are definitely the way to go. Our youth right. coach, our youth coach this year, he, uh, did a little warm-up program where the kids are mimicking uh, different animals as they're doing their agilities. So, for example, you, uh, you know, he was doing shuffle steps, but they were mimicking a, a monkey doing a shuffle step. So, you know, and they they just loved it and they responded to it well. And uh, you know, and then at the end of practice, uh, we had our uh, he had a specific baseball handshake that he did with every kid, and, and they thought it was pretty cool too. And and uh, so yeah, you know, making it fun and uh, a lot of those kids uh, we retained a lot of those kids a lot of them started showing up and now we we have a full-blown uh you know youth practice with 20 kids coming out up from four that's or five great. kids a couple of years ago so i mean it's it's going well and uh yeah that's that's you hit the nail on the head there it just has to be fun and a little bit competitive not everybody has to win all the time so that's right uh okay so just to wrap up this coaching set uh session here uh and then we're gonna if you have time we're gonna move on to to one other topic for today um do you have any other tips for coaches that are um seeking longevity in an international baseball coaching career i suppose the biggest thing that i can suggest is come with an open mind be willing to adapt and to adjust to the culture or the standards that are already in place and then once you kind of have a feel for things and you've you've at least established that you're you're willing to to work around any barriers or to overcome any obstacles that might be in place, then put your stamp on it. Be creative and and be willing to to take risks and to to try new things in an effort to grow the game or to to make things better. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but if you just put a creative spin on it or at least modify it in a certain way that's going to benefit everyone, it certainly will will stand out, and and I think you'll get a lot of buy-in in in general, depending on the, the situation, of course. But be creative, be willing to listen and learn, and use the resources that are available. That's probably the biggest thing it, that I can suggest. If there's other people who have knowledge, seek them out, ask them for for their opinion, use them as much as you can. There's nothing better than being than being asked to help out something with something if. And if someone feels that you have the services or the the strengths to assist, so 
I guess suppose understanding all of those things and kind of combining them will will definitely warrant uh, a club or an organization uh, will will be willing to to have you around and will want you to be a part of everything. Yeah. Excellent, Owen. Thank you very much uh, for all your answers and uh, you know your time in this uh, episode about coaching overseas. It was a long overdue episode, I believe, and. Uh, there's some valuable information within it. Uh, so those of you that are listening to this podcast right now and you want to catch uh, the next topic, uh, it's going to be on a different podcast, but we're going to be talking about um, a lot of dissatisfaction that sometimes I witness uh, between uh, import players and clubs um, overseas and um, why that happens sometimes, why guys are released early or why guys decide to pack up and go home early and why it hasn't worked out. So uh, we're going to spend about 10, 10 minutes talking about that, and you can catch that on a future podcast episode. Perfect. Thanks, Owen. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I'll be in touch soon. And uh, your season's coming up pretty soon, and best of luck to you there. Great. Likewise, David. Thank you. That wraps up episode number 11 of the International Baseball Community Podcast. That was the third time uh, that I've interviewed Owen Reed, and we owe him a great many thanks for all the great information he's shared with us. This time, the focus was on coaching and how valuable it is to get some coaching experience prior to coming overseas, as that's what all the clubs want to see. So. If you want to position yourself the best way possible, then get out there and get some coaching experience if you haven't done so so already. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, I'd appreciate it if you uh, go to that episode on the website and share it on Facebook or like it or... uh, Or you could also show your appreciation through using some of the affiliate links throughout the website. Uh, If you need any baseball equipment or baseball supplies and you click on any of the suppliers throughout the website, anything you purchase through that link, uh, I receive a small commission and it's no extra cost to you. Uh, And that helps cover some of the costs of running the website. Other than that, if you have any questions or you wish to be on one of the episodes, you can email me at internationalbaseballcommunity at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and take care out there.